You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. I'm the host of the Flip Maffler podcast. And as always, every Tuesday and sometimes even on Thursday, we actually have somebody come and do a takeover, which honestly gives me more time to do what I need to do in my life. But it also creates great content on the podcast. So this time, a good friend of mine, really, really a good friend of mine, Ted Wynn, he has a passion for the heroes in healthcare business. And we all know how the healthcare business has been impacted over the last years. And he, he started a podcast right in the middle of it. So Ted, tell us what this podcast series is all about that, and who do you interview in that? Sure. Well, thanks, Andrew, first. And second, thanks for having me here. Yeah, you know, our tagline is dedicated to highlighting bold, selfless professionals in the healthcare industry who are focusing on transforming lives in their communities. And we just thought with the COVID, COVID um, pandemic that we're all living through and still continuing to go through that these people and their stories just wasn't, wasn't being told or needed to be highlighted more. And so we just took it on as a, a bit of a passion project and said, let's start talking about these people and what they're doing. And uh, as a result, it's taken off. We have, uh, we are just finished episode 10. Ah, congrats. Thanks. And we have uh, last numbers I checked were about 1700 downloads. Already. That is awesome. So the podcast is called heroes of healthcare. Yep, and uh, yeah, and and uh, we are going to have links to your podcast here. So if people want to continue listening to it after even after the series is done, they can go check it out. We'll obviously write a blog and all those things. Share some of the people you're interviewing so we get a taste of it. Yeah. So yeah, and they can they can listen on the Heroes of Healthcare Podcast dot com website. So we have a whole website with the episodes posted there. Spotify, Apple, all the regular places as well. But yeah, we've been really fortunate. Um, we have uh, uh, Dr. Mark Knapp. He was a chief marketing, uh, excuse me, chief medical officer for Mount Sinai in New York City, who gave us a whole impact of how New York City responded to the pandemic and, and the stress on the people. We had the chief medical officer for Navant, massive healthcare system in the North Carolina and Southeastern market, talking all about vaccine safety of mRNA and the vaccine that's been coming out. And then we like to mix it up a little bit. We had an old-time friend of mine, Jack Curry, who is the voice of the New York Yankees, come on and talk all about baseball and how baseball was dealing with the COVID pandemic, but also how baseball was giving us some normalcy in our lives. Because one of the things we also want to focus on is not just the physicality of, of of the healthcare system, but also mental health. So we've also had the chief wellness officer from another major healthcare system talking about physician burnout, dealing with all the different clinicians and how are they dealing with the medical stress that they're under, under these uncertain times. So it's been very exciting and it's been, uh, we've had such a cross section of people. I think the listeners are going to find something in uh, great out of each one of them. Awesome, man. Ted, so, so everybody listening, you might be listening to the first episode you might be listening to the 10th takeover episode of this series. So just make sure you you look back and see if you have missed anything. But each one of them uh, is something that I feel, Ted, you being so passionate about it, 
is going to bring life to a lot of people as they hear it. So Ted, again, thanks for doing this. And everybody, enjoy the show. I'm excited to welcome Heather Isola to the show today. Heather is an experienced physician assistant of almost 15 years in internal medicine and women's health. Her focus at Mount Sinai is dedicated to advocacy, productivity, infrastructure, policy, recruitment, engagement, education, and a liaison to all health system and hospital services for the PA profession. That sounds like it keeps you very busy, Heather. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here too. So Heather, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about where you hail from, what got you to Mount Sinai, and a little bit about your background? Sure. I'm originally from New Hampshire, more Southern New Hampshire. There's a difference. So kind of a suburb of Boston. And then I went to school out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, did a bachelor master's program for physician assistant and moved to New York thereafter and have been there here ever since now for a little over 15 years. So and found my way to Mount Sinai about 10 years ago and have been here since. What made you want to become a physician's assistant? Oh, goodness. It's a big question because somehow at 17, I decided to be a physician assistant and it stuck. I had a physician assistant for a primary care provider when I was in adolescence and I thought he was cool. I thought he, he was an ex-football player. So he was a, you know, a big six foot six football guy who was a PA and I said, that's the thing that I can do that. I like, I like who he is. I like what he's doing. And I said, let's go find a PA school. It's not just that either. A lot of people in my family are kind of science driven. My mom was a microbiology teacher originally. My cousin's in pharmacy. My grandfather was a doctor. So everyone kind of was in that science field. Right. Shadowed a little bit in the same practice that I was a patient in, figured out this is the thing. And held on to it. Looked for PA schools. There weren't a lot of them at the time. There were a good number, but not a lot that were doing the bachelor master's program. Duquesne was where I went. It was one of the first and I ended up going there. Good. Cool. I caught you off on that, that question. Yeah. That's great. So let's talk about the role of the PA at Mount Sinai, maybe under normal conditions. And then how did things change for that, for your team and that group when COVID broke out in New York City? Sure. So usually as a PA, you're hired into a department or a specialty and you work under the physicians or under a team and whatever you get hired into. So it's medicine or surgery or orthopedics, cardiovascular, and you work under that general job function. But one of the benefits of being a PA is that we're generally boarded, which means that we can treat from a newborn to baby in the NICU to a 100-year-old person. And that made us very unique for COVID. When the time came to say, we need help, you can look at the PAs and say, oh, they're frontline providers who can write prescriptions, who can do inpatient services, who work well on a team, who can absorb a practice well and work pretty quickly and train up in a matter of you know, 24, 48 hours. So all of a sudden, this very specialized orthopedic PA is now able to be an inpatient medicine PA or down in the emergency room treating COVID patients or doing surge testing and surgical swabs and really making a difference quickly. So that was that was something that happened. And PAs usually are in the surgical fields. And when elective surgery dropped, they were the first bucket of professionals that could really move. So we really were the first to deploy. It was Friday, March 13th that I got the first call. It was a RCMO over at 
on Friday morning. So I called me at 1030 while I was doing clinical hours. Hope you're not superstitious with the Friday the 13th, were you? It sticks in my head. (laughs) (laughs) It was Friday, March 13th. Uh, And the other part too, it was my husband's birthday the night before. Oh gosh. And we went out in the city and there was just, it was the sign of the pandemic was here. So I felt badly for him. And then that morning at 1030, everything changed. Everything changed. It was ramping up through the like previous two weeks or so. We knew it was coming. We had some patients. We were on high alert, but what ended up happening was the CMO from Mount Sinai Morningside called me at 1030 and said, opening a surge center this weekend, I need PA. Mm. And in a flash, I had to kind of leave practice, left everything on the table, handed over everything and said, sorry, guys, it's COVID time. And we're doing this now. So the first three days that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I don't think I've ever worked as hard in my life. And then it kind of continued for a month thereafter. Heather, how yeah. many, how many are within your team about and how many did you have to bring in from the outside? So there's some great points there. We have 900 employed physician assistants and about 750 you would call like full time here every day for Mount Sinai Health System. Okay. When it came down to what was deployable, meaning people can work frontline, it was about 500 that I moved around. Okay. So across the health system which is eight hospitals. One is New York Ioneer, so they weren't necessarily involved with COVID treatment, but the rest of the hospital health system sites were all treating COVID patients. Okay. And did you want to repeat the second part? I was Yeah, out of curiosity, further. did you have to bring a lot of outside help in? And what were those numbers? So, no, we didn't have to bring in a lot of outside PA. That was amazing. So we prepared for it. We were looking at staffing and locums. I cleared a bunch of people to start, did all of their CV reviews. We did disaster privileges, but we were able to really move the PAs around so efficiently that I didn't have to ask for too much. The only time I had to externally ask for more is when we actually opened an entire hospital building at Mount Sinai Beth Israel. So we extended an entire footprint of a hospital and they were going to be absorbing the rest of the COVID patients, because we were on our tail end, we were on the way out. That's the only time I needed PAs. I hired about like 18 at that point out Mm -hmm. of 500 something of the others. So it was actually really good. And, you know, we saved some money and we did the right thing and we were efficient with our work. Yeah, great. I want to go more into the mental health aspects and the work that you do there. Just one or two more questions around this. So, you know, when you commented on It was probably the hardest day and then the hardest weekend and continued. And it might be a good segue, but how was it different? What made it so hard, not only just for you, but I'm sure from some of the others who you've spoken to on your team during and afterwards, what made it so hard versus the other work that you did? It was the intensity of it. It was the gravity of it, creating new systems, innovating. We had to think of these new care models of how one physician can try to take care of 20 plus patients versus 10 or 12 and what Mm -hmm. the teams would look like and how the PAs fit in those teams. And then how do you staff those teams and what times do they work? How do you pay their overtime? How do you protect them? Then personally, just the emotion of it. What's it going to be like going to work? Am I going to catch COVID when I get to work? What are people like? People are dying in front of you. Your colleagues are getting sick. I had PAs go on in ventilators themselves. Wow. It was intense. And then my position, just emotionally, when I was 
deploying people, knowing I was taking a person and putting them in the line of fire is not a good feeling. And that was something that I had to kind of address in my resiliency and, you know, better now because we're all used to COVID. But at that time in March, that was the biggest pill to swallow. Yeah. So the, so the, you know, so what they talk about in medical terms, the standard course of treatment, that all went out the window because there was no standard protocols for COVID. Is that right? I mean, there were probably some standards. In the beginning, beginning, it was just an onslaught from, we went from zero to a hundred overnight. We just, there wasn't treating, they were coming in and there wasn't anything you could do. You would treat the best of your abilities, but there were so many in the same position and they were all very, very sick. But then after about three weeks, you saw the pace change a little bit. We started figuring it out. We started figuring out COVID was a disorder. So people were being put on anticoagulant therapies and we started having workflows. The ICU started mapping out common labs on the door so you could look and see the tubing, the ventilators, all of that improved within, you know, two, three weeks time. So it did, it really did get better. But that first two weeks was, what are we looking at? What is this? Right. So that's, I think it's a great segue because obviously that uncertainty adds to the whole stress of the whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that's the part or the piece that you're passionate about. And it's the piece that we really were so intrigued to be privileged to have you on here with us. So talk to me a little bit about what did you start to observe? What did you start to see? And then how did you guys start to say, we need to address this? Right. So when you go to work every day, you know, the method that you drive in or the train that you take, you know, where to put down your stuff, you know, the routine, you have your colleagues you're familiar with, and that lets you be a better person in your job. And in our world, it means you can be a better PA because everything else is in control and habit and routine. You take that all away. You don't know who your manager is. You don't know who is working with you. You don't know what kind of physician is working with you. It could be an ophthalmologist. It could be an orthopedist. You don't know what kind <laughs> right. of knowledge gap it's going to be. You know, what are we getting into today? How sick are the patients today? What else am I going to learn? So all of that foundation that makes you work better is gone. Right. So you have to try to figure out how we can build an infrastructure that people know they have, they have safety, that they're comfortable that they know there's a place to go when there's questions. And that's what my role ended up being a lot of through all of this was just a place of like a North Star, if you will, for PAs. Just if I don't know something, I at least Heather will try to figure that out. No, my question was going to say, when you say safety, I think of two things during this time, right? So I know safety from a somewhat from a mental health aspect, but also the safety of the, as you said, Am I going to catch COVID? Where's the PPE? All of that sort of stuff. Is that what you were referring? Which which safety or maybe both were you referring to? Probably all of it. I will say PPE wasn't really an issue. We had enough and it was there. One of the well-being initiatives was to make sure that we had a lot of self-care. Um, and we felt that our basic needs were taken care of. We started figuring that out early. People need basic needs and they were starting to provide in the hospitals, little resource rooms, treat rooms food, toothbrushes if you need them, toilet paper if you need it. So toilet paper? You had, more wait, wait yeah, you had toilet we had paper? Toilet paper. <laughs> we did. We did. They opened up a little mini mart, uh-huh. our free pickup for night workers, so they can um, have toilet paper and toothbrushes and things like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's funny though. It's funny. Well, yeah, and I'm sorry, I threw you off, but it's funny how the the toilet paper thing will always be somewhat associated with COVID and toilet paper. (laughs) COVID and toilet paper. I saw on on somewhere there were somebody was promoting a 2020 holiday ornament for your tree. And it had all the different things from the year. And of course, the big centerpiece was a roll of toilet paper. So yeah, it it will be forever. It'll be forever associated with that. So I'm sorry, I took you off. But we were talking about the safety. And so there's not only a physical safety aspect, but there's a mental safety aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to feel safe in your environment that when you're working, the things around you are working too. So all of those policies and regulations that keep us safe as providers and do good care, they need to be held up. And so going in and not knowing the system, you hope that everything's not thrown out the window. And it wasn't. We, mm-hmm. we did a really great job at making sure that when you show up at work, you're going to be taken care of. And remember the other, the social aspect of this is we were going to work every day where the vast majority of the population was home and hunkering down. Mm-hmm. And so to be on the train by yourself and there's no one on there with you or to drive into the city and it's clear shot all the way in, it's a strange thing. And it, it kind of shakes you up a little bit. Sure. I mean, my only I can only relate from the standpoint of my daughter lives on 174th and Broadway. So she's up in Washington mm-hmm. Heights and she would be sending she us used to live on 200. Okay. Yeah. And she would, (laughs) so from her roof, she would, we we would hear the cheers for Presbyterian as they do the shift change and which was, you know, gave you the chills because it was so awesome, you know, to hear that happen. But she would send pictures from the street as she would go out to try to get some food or some toilet paper or whatever needed. She would Mm -hmm. just send us pictures. And I grew up in and around New York and worked in the city. So I'm familiar with the hustle and bustle. And the only time you saw the streets like that was maybe at, you know, six o'clock in the morning, you know, on a Sunday that maybe it was empty a little bit like that. So yeah, it was kind Mm -hmm. of an eerie, it was kind of an eerie sensation. Very eerie. So March and April, it was that very eerie feeling where I parked a block away from Mount Sinai Hospital, which is unheard of. We have one garage that's constantly full all the time and, and all the parkings always full. And I was parking right in front of the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> it, bizarre but one of the sad benefits right yeah i know i kind of miss it now um, yeah. saying well i, I want to be the only one going to work now <laughs> um, <laughs> because it was great coming in it was such a short commute but it's okay i'd rather this than that so. i bet so let's start talking about when you might have saw the, the shift from the mental stress the mental strain and sure. what were some of those signs that you saw and what made you guys start to hey we got to do something about this Yeah. So, you know, that going through what we went through and seeing what we were seeing and being put into a position that you never thought you were going to be put in was going to upset anybody. So we already knew walking into this whole thing that we're going to have to manage mental health. There's been enough done with World Trade Center and wartime that we know there's going to be some mental health issues. So Mount Sinai really did put themselves forward during the pandemic to give us as many resources as possible to help process through deaths if we saw a death to giving us on-the-job mental health liaisons who are available 24-7 at all the health system sites. And just in talking, I had a PA captain's call every morning at 8.30. And a lot of what would come up was, we're just sad, we're lonely, we're tired. Just those early signs of just mental fatigue. Mm -hmm. And... They weren't reaching out for anything. So if you said, are you okay? They go, yeah, I'm fine. And if you say, hey, there's 
I literally have someone standing right next to me. This is mental health XYZ. This is their name. They're right here. They go, yeah, we're good. We're, we're good. We just need to talk to each other and we're fine. Right. I set up virtual groups as drop-in sessions, confidential. I set them up twice a week at first and then once a week out of 500 something PAs that would be deployed. I'd get one or two or sometimes none that would show up for a group just to talk. You always wanted to have that stuff available because that one person needed it that day, right? Right. But how can we address that everybody probably needs a little help right now, whether they know it or not? And then as we started kind of getting towards the end of the first wave, I'd say we're early May now. And we were starting to return some to their normal jobs. We were starting to shut down COVID floors one at a time. And there was this real lack of engagement that I had not seen out of PAs before. PAs tend to be very extroverted, team players, very oriented with each other and everybody that they work around and very giving with each other So when you in say, general. Yeah. So when you say lack of engagement, can you expand on that a little bit more? Like, you know, in terms of some examples yeah. or, you know, obviously you said they are usually extroverted and how they, you know, they were more introverted probably mm-hmm. in their demeanor. But, you know, what, what, else, what were some of the other things that you observed that made you feel this was yeah. something you got to look at? They wanted to clock in and clock out. And they just wanted to do the, and I'm making very much generalizations. This is not everybody, of course, but this was the mood and the feeling. People just wanted to get the work done and get home. They wanted to do what they needed to do for the surgery, for the patient care, and just leave. They wanted to be home. You would ask, hey, can you work an extra shift? Or do you want to take some moonlighting? Do you want to pick up something in extra time? They'd say, no. Do you want to, you know... Can I change your role today because someone's out? They called out. Can you cover for them? They didn't want to. Mm. So a lot of that was happening. Just they were done. They were tired. They they couldn't handle more change, right? I had a lot of people who came back to their employment and their schedule could change, or they were kind of reworking some things as we were getting back into the swing of things and they couldn't handle those new schedule changes. It was just too much. And what do you mean by they couldn't, so that, they couldn't handle it? They would resist it. They didn't want to do it. Yeah, they yeah. would resist it. So if I were originally working three 12-hour shifts, and that's what my life has been built around for the last two years. Right. When I came back from COVID, now they're saying, oh, work four tens or three different days. They couldn't do that. They couldn't change. And that's part of resilience, too, is being able to adapt and flex and understand change. So you could see that people were kind of pushing the brakes on everything around them and saying, I can't handle this right now. Can we just go back to normal? I was just going to say, um, that, that was what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, do you think that's because we we were, or they were, I, I should say we, it should be they, they were grasping for normalcy. They were trying to get anything back to what was normal because their world had been turned so upside down. Yep. Yep. And they were just tired. In the end, they were just tired. So we really encouraged people to take PTO, take time off if they could, take vacations. But remember, we couldn't go anywhere. We still can't really go anywhere. <laughs> um, meaning to so, the word staycation. Yeah. And came the issue during COVID. People were spending so much time in the hospitals. And you go home and what do you do? There's nothing to do. You're thinking about going back in again. So it's just rough. It's between resilience work and just understanding COVID more and being able to get back to normal hospital functions has been 
great. I think we're way better off now than we were, but it took time. Yeah. Good. Yeah, no. And, you know, and the other dynamic that when we had Dr. Knapp on, he talked about was, and those who didn't want to go home because of fear that they would infect their family members. So there was also that dynamic going on too, right? Yes, that and home sometimes was worse than being in the hospital. That was that wartime feeling where then we went home and they felt like they needed to be back on the front line to help their counterparts, their friends, their colleagues, because it was so hard. And then they would go home and they wouldn't be able to adjust quickly to home life. So they decided to stay at the hospital more. So there was that piece too. Mm, Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate, but in the conversations that I've been having, that wartime theme continues to repeat itself in terms of that. The other analogy I heard was when it broke out, so many of the physicians who you said who were either furloughed or put on some sort of not needed basis felt the call to arms. So they raised their hands Mm -hmm. and said, I'm ready, I'll come and I'll do that. And we've got some great stories coming out to talk about that. But when the second wave came around, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but when that came around, those same providers weren't available again, because unfortunately, when you go because you feel of the mission, you get into the trenches of the whole thing and you realize what this is really like and how hard this is. When they come back and say, would you renew for the second tour of duty? There's a lot of people going, I, I just, I, I need a break. I don't know that I can jump right back in again. Yep. Yeah. I'll agree to all of that. <laughs> And also the fact that when it, this is the operations brain of myself, everywhere else has COVID now too. So they're all dealing with it on the home front and need to go to their home institutions to help them. Whereas when it was in New York and our tri-state area, there was a, a call to come here, right? Across the country. Now that's not so much the case. It's widespread and we all need to take care of each other. Sure. So I heard you earlier and, and let's let's kind of maybe pick up the the story there. But, you know, you had you had the mental health people there. People are saying, I'm good. I'm good. You know, that sort of thing. And you're saying you're not good. We know you're not good sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what how did you guys decide we might need to change this approach a little bit? And let's talk about that a little bit more. So just out of practice uh, and making sure I was throwing, I called it spaghetti. I was throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what would stick. And I was doing it over and over and over again with mental health resources, resources from the health system. I was reaching out to see if people would lend us resources to our lovely PAs. I was trying anything. Nothing would stick. And then I, it was one person talked to another person. I have an idea that's similar to another person and hey, we're doing this. So I was looking into coaching and coaching services, thinking PAs respond well and many respond well to saying, I'm not saying I have something wrong with me, but I'm recognizing I should probably work on some stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought that maybe let's take a stab at it. that angle. Why don't we say we just want to be better? Why don't we say that we want to be well? Why don't we get away from using the words PTSD, depression, anxiety? I know that's all probably true. And I know I probably have symptoms of it. But let's put that aside. Let's just say, what can we do to get better? Well, all the normal stigma of mental health issues come into play. I don't want to be thought of as having a mental health issue. I don't want to be thought of as being anxious. I don't want to be thought of being depressed. But guess what? I am. Right. And providers are really good at recognizing symptoms 
and putting them down and saying, that's anxiety. I, I know I have anxiety now. I'm going to pretend it's not there. Right. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, that's led to some pretty severe consequences with suicides and everything that's in healthcare. So we know it's a real thing. So when I had brought around this coaching idea, I was led to Deb Marin, who is taking on the lead for the Center for Stress, Resilience, and Personal Growth for Mount Sinai Health System. And they were still in their baby ideas of what this center would be, what kind of programs it would have. What is this? Deb Marin went on rounds with me one day. And this was as they were kind of formulating. And I talked to her. I think she was giving me some therapy while I was, <laughs> while I was talking to her. Well, that's but then good. she also heard firsthand what the PAs were experiencing. And we were actually one of the units that we went to was closing a COVID unit down. So people were like really elated. It was an orthopedics unit that was all COVID. And when we were there, they were changing it that day and cleaning it and bringing it back to normal service. So all the orthopedic PAs were just there yeah. and so willing to share and they were bright and happy. And so we, we got a lot out of that session just with them. I think we picked the right day to do it. Yeah, you got um, good, good, good timing, right? Yep, really good timing. The Beatles, Here Comes the Sun was on uh-huh, the radio. We used to play that for at the end of the day for people who were being discharged and they were playing it for the floor because we were finished with yep. the floor. It was the empty patient panel. So from that rounding session, we then went into... And what they were already building, which was a resiliency workshop, which takes the major principles of resilience work and puts it into a curriculum. And then you go into groups and it's a P we decided to do a PA leader. And then you would be partnered with a social worker or chaplain to help guide these groups. As a PA leader, we were trained a little bit. We did some mock sessions ourselves. And then we followed a curriculum that was built out with the center. And the first iteration of it was 12 weeks. And now they're down to five to kind of help with retention and and move a little quicker. But we were the first data group for the health system. And I was really happy that the PAs were doing this and they stayed. We even did 14 weeks in my group and we're still doing booster groups. So now we need each other. Now we want to know how each other are doing. It's formed really great bonds. It's been extremely positive for me personally, and then also just seeing the turnaround and the PAs that have gone through it. I hope it sparks much, much more going forward. Uh, that's 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 awesome. So just to me echo back a little bit to make sure they understand. So when you were approaching it from a depression, anxiety, a no, I'm okay, that situation, your change was to say, as you said, with the coaching and the mentoring approach, which is we all want to be better. So would you like resiliency training? And that's when the hands went up and said, oh, of course, I'd love some training to make me Mm -hmm. better. And you were able to address those issues that you were trying to address in the beginning, but you just had to change the delivery slightly to get the involvement. And it's still hard. Getting engagement is still hard, but this has worked the best. Okay. And and I think we are on to something where we can continue to build out this because it did work. And there was so much positive growth in the PAs that were involved in that beta group. There's a lot of work to be had, but we're doing it. So obviously we can't unpack the whole curriculum on the show, but can, yeah. you, can you give us a little taste of what was either one of the sessions or thematically, this would be something mm-hmm. we would address in the resiliency training that we saw or we, we know was, was helping. Or you might say, oh, well, I, I can tell you in the 12 weeks or 14 weeks I went through mine, 
this was the thing that really resonated with me or I remember mm-hmm. this really helped? So part of it is story sharing and just talking through. So that's the therapy part of it. So you do part of PTSD is it can get worse if you don't talk. So that in and of itself was helpful. Just going through stories and examples with each other and talking to in a safe place was really helpful. But the themes of resiliency, they're around flexibility, adapting, mental fitness, support, creating positive mentors in your life, self-care, spirituality and religion. I actually named a lot of them. Uh, There's like 12 or 13 that we went through. For instance, I don't consider myself a, a very religious person. So I wasn't totally tuned into the spirituality and religion group. But then as we started talking, I started figuring out certain things that I do in my day or certain things that I were doing in the pandemic was actually quite spiritual and they were working for me. So one of the things that I used to do was if it were cold out or even if I just needed a break and I was at my house doing remote work for the day, I would walk outside without my shoes on so I could feel the cold under my feet. Uh And I didn't know that was me kind of centering myself, getting a little bit of therapy. And that was something I did or like the walks that I was taking was actually when I had mental clarity. So you start figuring out these little things that you were doing that you didn't necessarily put any rhyme or reason to, but now I know they work. And now I, if I have those days, I go for a walk or I walk outside and I sit in my yard in the grass so I can feel it. My way of figuring this out. Yeah, because sometimes it's not one thing. And I think in society, we all want the pill up. I don't feel good. Take the pill. I feel better fixed. Right. And but sometimes it's a lot Mm -hmm. of it's all those little things that toolbox. Exactly. That's a great expression. That's a great way to put it. Right. It's the toolbox. What are the different things that are going to help me get back centered? One of the other things I'd like to also touch upon that I know in our first conversation we talked about was the impact that the racial disharmony that was happening simultaneously as all this is going on, the Black Lives Matter movement goes, there's riots in the different cities, there's all sorts of outcry. Some people say it was a pandemic on a pandemic, or or at least a Mm -hmm. national one. And I know you mentioned that that was something you observed that was very impactful to the team on top of all this. Can you expand on that a little bit? Part of it was timing. We had just about finished wave one and people were going back to work. And it was like within a week of people going back to real work or normal work. And the George Floyd occurrence happened and there was rioting, boarding up shops and hearing helicopters in the air and sirens. And a lot of people said, we just did this. We just went through this. I can't hear another ambulance. I can't hear another thing happened because this is awful. And we had to go back to carrying our IDs around so we could walk through the city safely, having curfews. I think people just put their hands up and said, enough, this is enough. This is important. We need to address it. This is bringing back really bad memories. And I don't want to do this again. And you saw everyone really just take hold of it, carry the message. Mount Sinai did a, a great job, I think, in addressing it. We did a moment of silence out on Fifth Avenue. And it was well attended. <laughs> and we yeah. had actually one of our PAs set up a protest, Central Park, White Coats for Black Lives. So that was one of our PAs in the ED that did that. They really were kind of, they, they took the punch and then they said, we're not letting this happen and really pushed everyone to say, this is a problem and we're, we need to help be part of the fix. 
That's amazing. So what are some of the things? So the program is now getting into full steam. You're getting participation. You know, you said, you said not full, but you're getting more people are coming into the piece. And what are some of the things you've seen that have said to you or have been indicated to you that you say, okay, this is working. And I guess, obviously, as you said, things are winding down. We're getting a little bit more stable. We know more. We've learned more. The numbers were starting to come down a little bit. But what were some of the indicators besides that that made you say this program is having an impact that we had hoped it would have? I think because it's not in the moment care. It's not saying you have a problem. Now I'm going to throw something out to fix it. It's giving us longevity. It's creating the toolbox so you can continue to be a better person. You may not need to go to all the sessions, but at least if you know about the material, if you know how to receive it, understand it, you can use it in whatever way you need to take it in. It might be with other people. It might be just reading about it. Mm -hmm. We've made videos. We're doing text outreach. There's a lot of different ways to kind of sink into the values of resilience work. And I think that's helpful. It's not, I have a problem, I need a therapist. Or I have a problem, I need a pill. It's you continue to grow. Right. So Heather, if if another healthcare system is listening to us and they say, oh my gosh, we need that. Is this something that Mount Sinai is making available to another hospital system, the curriculum, what's available? And if so, I'd love to hear from you how they can get it. And we can certainly put it on our website so people can can find how to get connected with you and or the right people. I've got to believe you're because you guys were a little ahead of the curve because of your early surge. There are systems that are struggling with this today. Sure. If certain health systems are wanting to learn from our programs and adapt and even talk with us, there is an email that I can share with you here or offline. It's the it's ms-csrpg at mountsinai.org. Do me a favor, repeat that again. It's ms-csrpg at mountsinai.org. Great. Thanks for sharing so, that. And we'll, yeah, we'll, and we'll put that on the website as well. So folks need to get it. They can get it. Yeah. So the, the people that are leading it, I mean, we're, we're still putting it together, right? And we're still trying to figure out, and I'm saying we, it's really them. I'm just a really great friend. You're an advocate. I'm a, I'm a big, big advocate and I'm really involved with them and trying to keep the pulse on everything and really want to do the best for the PAs that I can for them, which keeps me involved. But what they can provide is guidance on how things are being built, what's worked, what hasn't worked, why it's important. There are other services too at Mount Sinai. We have dogs that are here for our therapy, not just for patients. We have Mount Sinai Calm, Mount Sinai Fit. You can dial for Calm on our phones and you can do a 60-second meditation. So there's a lot of stuff out there that they can pull for utility. Share with us a little bit about the texting. So we are in this second wave now, knowing that there's going to be a lot of feelings. We're not quite in it. We haven't stopped services. We're still working as a normal hospital. And to be honest, we probably won't be really moving services around until Christmas-ish or after Christmas. I think we're doing okay. But we see the hospital changing. We see the patients changing. We see the volumes going up. So a lot of stuff around us is bringing back some emotions and feelings. And we may get to a point where we have to repurpose 
and redeploy providers, nurses, everybody. And that's going to bring back a lot of memories that maybe people don't want or they don't know that they had. And hopefully we can help them. And you'd mentioned so and you're doing that through texting? Yeah, so we're doing it through texting. We're going to try it out with a very large group first and assign a social worker for a group of the people and that social worker and you can opt out if you want to. But the social worker will send an introductory text saying, Hi, my name is XYZ. I'm here. I'm part of the Center for Stress Resilience and Personal Growth. I'm here. Just if you need me or if you want resources or even if you just want to talk, now you have my number. And they can opt out of it or they can just save the number and yeah. maybe one day they'll call or maybe they'll say, Hey, yeah, I've been meaning to think about this. Let me let me see if I can join. Yeah, well, just knowing that that outlet's there, right? You know, mm-hmm. I think that's great. You may not need it today, but maybe save the number because you don't want to be looking for it the day you need it. And it'd be nice to know mm-hmm. that it's there. So yeah, I know I'm sure they get, a, I'm sure some people just get a lot of peace knowing that there's a safety net there, that if there, if I do mm-hmm. break glass in case of emergency sort of a thing. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, you never really erase all your texts. They kind of sit on your phone and you scroll through them. So maybe it'll just sit there. And that's okay, but it'll be there at least. Right. So let's just spend the last kind of few minutes here talking about, you just mentioned it a little bit, any things that Mm -hmm. you guys are seeing in terms of second waves? And obviously you're trying to be mindful of that it is bringing back some tough feelings, but it seems like right now it's being manageable. Manageable. We're just seeing the the bump from Thanksgiving just about now. We've been able to really move as a health system and keep levels consistent and use the staffing that we had. So we're not pushing the bounds yet, but you can see it getting close. We're close-ish. Probably after Christmas is when we're going to see real change, but then we have the vaccine. So maybe we don't have that much longer. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I really think it's going to be the first part of the winter. It's not going to be as much as it was before. We had entire atriums filled with patients, which are normally things that you walk through. That's not going to happen this time around. So there is a level of this is, we can do this. I want to ask you, how are you guys seeing with flu? There was some, I know it's a little early in the season, but I yeah. had heard there have been some predictions that flu wouldn't be so bad because we're all wearing masks now, where in the past yeah. we hadn't. And are you seeing, and then, but I remember in the summer, they're saying, oh, wait till the fall comes because when flu season hits on top of the pandemic, we're really going to get crushed. But then that other, like I just said, assumption about the masks was going to reduce that. Are you seeing any pushes in the flu area? Not really yet. I'm not a specialist on the numbers to watch for flu. It hasn't alerted me yet. So I Uh can say that. Good. We are pushing everybody to get their flu shot if they haven't already because COVID and flu can coexist and you do not want that. And then if the other piece is is if the big concern was having COVID patients and having flu patients together, that would really overwhelm us as well. Mm -hmm. And so if we can make sure everyone at least gets a flu shot, hopefully we're reducing our volume and we can care for COVID a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I know part of the reason we loved having you on here today and you wanted to be on here was, and we are called the heroes of healthcare for a reason. And I know it was really, you wanted to highlight those 900 PAs that work with the system because in your view, they really, they really were the heroes. And in many ways, almost more frontline heroes being thrown in really fast. Mm -hmm. They should be everybody's heroes. I'd create a monument with my own money and like 
stick it next to the Statue of Liberty for them if I could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did well, something miraculous. Right. Yeah, and and at the at the risk of being redundant, I've said this the last with Dr. Knapp. The thing that strikes me is the whole piece, and I think and I think it might have been our first conversation, but these are really. They're really extraordinary heroes because superheroes have superpowers and these are just people doing superhuman things with their time and their effort and their energy and their skills. So mm-hmm. we're, we're very excited about them. And, and I just love, you know, we, we, again, mental health just doesn't get talked about enough. And one of the statistics that I had heard was coming out of the 2008 recession, the stress that put on the country in the next couple of years, it increased mental health needs by around 25% to 30% with the numbers. And now they're talking about that so that, as an, that as an event yeah. wasn't even as stressful as this is an event. And what are the pressures going to become on the mental health system coming out of this? They just say the numbers, as you said, might be double, you know, 50% yeah. increase in this area. Have you guys talked about that within your teams? Yeah, it's actually come up recently in some circles and also with some of the professionals in the area. It's not just that healthcare workers saw something, were part of something, and it was traumatic. I always say it's just as much stressful and traumatic if you were at home hunkering down and maybe you were isolated. Maybe you can't get to your family. Maybe your family's home with you. Maybe you're struggling with schoolwork. Maybe you don't have a job anymore. This is something for everybody. Resilience work can work for everybody too. That's the other thing. So it's not just here. I think it's really important to say that this is a problem for whoever you are. We're paying attention right now, right here, because I'm a PA and I do things with PAs and I'm in a health system, but I want to be very conscious that my friends are struggling with this. My parents are struggling. You know, everybody can be struggling with this. And it's really a good thing if you can make it open conversation with your families and friends and your colleagues. Yep. Yeah, let's not ignore it. It's too it's too important. Right. It's too important not to not to do right. that. Yeah. Well, I love your heart and I love your passion for this. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and coming out. I'd be remiss if I don't ask my favorite question, which is who's your hero? Who was you your know hero? My CPAs. <laughs> say that again. I'm sorry. I would say all PAs everywhere. All um, PAs are they heroes. are my heroes. They are the reason I do what I'm doing. I'm very proud to be one of them, but I was not on the front line. Personally, you know, my mom is always a hero because I wouldn't be who I am without her and kind of how independent and strong she is and how diverse in her thoughts she can be. So she's one of my personal heroes, but in this moment, PAs all the way. All the PAs get the big shout out from Heather. Always. 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 Heather, it's been a delight. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate your heart. Appreciate you sharing the story. We'll be sure to get the information out on the website. If there's any other individuals or systems who just want to know more about what you're doing and how you guys are doing it, we'll make that available to them. And again, Heather, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for being our hero and doing what you do. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time with you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.